0: Hey everyone, you're listening to Yap Snacks, a series of bite-sized content hosted by me, Halataha. Do you feel like you can't get things done in your day-to-day life? Are you unable to focus for long stints of time while working? Does focus easily slip away from you? If you thought yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Productivity can feel like a slippery slope where you go from feeling accomplished and ahead one minute to procrastinating, being distracted and overwhelmed the next. The eight hour workday has been the norm for more than a century. But employee surveys suggest that most people are truly productive for only about three to four hours a day. And what are people doing for the other five hours of their workday? Well, they're checking social media, they're reading news websites, taking breaks, and even looking for new jobs. Imagine how much we could do and achieve if we were just able to stay focused and be productive for eight hours a day, or however many productive hours we choose to work in a day. And what if we ran closer to 100% efficiency rather than just 40 or 50%? And productivity doesn't just relate to your working life, but also your personal life as well. Maybe you keep putting off tasks that need to get checked off the to-do list because they just seem too difficult, or you can't seem to get your priorities in order, or maybe you just haven't had the time to take that rain check date with your loved one. I can relate to all of these situations because even though we all have the same 24 hours in a day, it always feels like there's never enough time to get all the things done that I need to get done at work and at home. So me and the YAP team have went through all of our YAP archives to bring some of the best pieces of wisdom today on the show related to maximizing your time and productivity shared by some of the most reputable experts in the world on the topic. So let's get right into it. First, let's start with to-do lists. How many of us create to-do lists at the start of the week? I personally love to check off those boxes. It gives me a rush of dopamine and I get motivated every time I check something off the list. But there's a chance that we're organizing our to-do lists all wrong. Back in episode number 105, I spoke with award-winning journalist and speaker Laura Vanderkam about her to-do list philosophies and how we can create better to-do lists that work for you. You are an advocate of very short to-do lists. You say three to five items max, and you also sometimes call it a to-do list, and you got that from Gretchen Rubin, so I thought that was really cute. So tell us about the to-do list. Why keep it just three to five items max?
1: Well, the idea of having a short to-do list is that you want your to-do list to represent things that you actually intend to do. And unfortunately, people wind up making these like 50 item to do lists like you're not going to get through 50 items in a day. But the question is, well, which ones are you going to get through? Right. Like, is it going to be the easiest ones, the ones that were screaming loudest, the first ones you saw? I don't know. But the odds that the ones that you do get through were the ones that absolutely had to happen today um, and were the most important are, are low. Whereas if you force yourself to prioritize to like five main things, like you will, in fact, get through them. Now people are like, that seems very short. Like this does not mean the stuff that you do every day. Like this does not mean like cook dinner is on the list for the five things for the day. It's not, you know, if you always post something on your blog, I would say that's probably not something you'd put on your list of five things because anything that's a routine, that's a habit. Um, if you always check your email at 11 a.m., like that doesn't need to go on the to-do list for the day. This is, this is things that are discrete tasks that are important enough to become a contract with yourself that you will get through by the end of the day. But when it is short, then you can get through it. And you start to develop this real trust in yourself that, yes, if I put it on the to-do list, it is going to happen. And the only way you can make sure of that is to keep it short. Because guess what? Stuff is going to come up. Things are going to happen. Things are going to go wrong. People are like, oh, well, I couldn't get through everything on my to-do list because stuff happened this afternoon. New things landed on my lap. It's like, oh, imagine that. (laughs) When has that ever not happened, right? Whereas if you know you've decided these three things absolutely do have to happen, well, you probably will get to those three things even when the new stuff lands on your lap too, or even if you get called away for a personal emergency at like 2 p.m., right? You still will have been able to get through the very limited list, and that's why you want to make it very, very short. The to da list part is more that at the end of the day, it's helpful to know, well, what have I done? And ideally, this both matches the to-do list that you created, you know, for the day. And then you can also add anything that you did that came up in the course of the day and then celebrate that those accomplishments happened as well.
0: Laura's philosophy of having short to-do lists with three to five items max seems simple enough. But aside from not including more things that can actually fit in one day, there are other considerations to make with your to-do list. For one, you need to make sure your activities have clear success criteria and that they're not vague. Let's say you wanna make a perfect proposal and you have that on your to-do list. What's a perfect proposal exactly? Who's defining that? You need to make sure your task is clear. The other mistake I see people making is putting really big multiple step projects on their to-do list. You need to make sure your tasks are really just one task and they don't have multiple steps. For example, having a line item like launch a new product is much too broad, and that may trigger you to procrastinate because you haven't thought through the immediate next steps and you haven't broken it down, which can actually intimidate you to start the project. And lastly, don't be wishy-washy. If anything on your to-do list has a question mark, it probably shouldn't even be on the list. Having a wishy-washy item sets you up for failure because you don't have the pressure to follow through and it's not officially on your list. Instead, move that item to another date where you're more certain you can accomplish it or take it off altogether. To-do lists are only useful when you actually hold yourself accountable to them. And honestly, keeping a to-do list is just a small part of time management and productivity. A lot of this stuff has to do with our mindsets, especially surrounding time. I constantly feel like there's not enough time to do all the things I want to do in life. But when I take a step back and slow down, I'm able to realize that I have more time than I think. I want to share one more clip from my chat with Laura, and definitely go check out episode number 105 after this because it is filled with so many good nuggets of advice. Laura tells us how changing our mindset towards time and time management can be the key to getting more done. And I love that you said like not to wait, like be so worried about wasting a few minutes. And I think that really speaks to your perspective that time is abundant. And you, you always say that, you know, we should approach time with an abundance mindset. Why is that? Like, Why, why is it more beneficial to look at time with an abundance mindset?
1: Well, you just make better choices. I mean, because if you are constantly feeling like there is no time for anything, like you feel rushed, you feel harried, you're not going to be open to opportunity because how could you take on any opportunities? There's no time, there's no space for anything, right? Whereas if you tell yourself, I have all the time I need for what is important to me, well, you know, we see what we choose to see. So if you're walking around with the story that I am harried, busy, Rush, starve for time. Well, sure, you can find evidence of that. I'm sure we can all find evidence in our lives of, of moments that are starved for time, rushed, harried, whatever. But if you're walking around with the story that I do have time for the things that matter to me, then you're like, oh, hey, you know, I just got my kids in bed and I, you know, have 90 minutes before I need to go to bed. I, I could read a book. I'm the kind of person who reads a book. Look at me, you know. (laughs) And uh, if same thing with that. The start of the meeting, it's like we have so much to get through. I have ten meetings today. How could I possibly spend time just chatting? But here's the thing: if you all trust each other and feel like you're happy together and going to have a great meeting because you all feel like you're in it together because of this five minutes of chit chat at the start, well, it's going to be a much better meeting. Like you may not have to have a second meeting. Because somebody like just resorted to total subterfuge over something that they weren't happy about on the previous meeting. Like it is so much better to invest the time in getting it right.
0: I absolutely love this piece of wisdom about abundance of time mindset. It honestly feels like there's never enough hours in the day, but by slowing down and flipping the script in our brains, we do really have enough time for the things that are most important to us. And when we feel this way, we're bound to make better choices and get closer to what matters to us most. And I think that's more important than just checking off boxes. Mindset is huge when it comes to productivity. Typically, when we put off our most important tasks over and over again, we don't feel good. We know we're not getting enough done at work, and we can start to become our own worst critics. Then those negative thoughts start to impede our productivity even more, which leads us back to the importance of maintaining that ironclad mindset. Tim Story is an expert in this. He wrote the best-selling book, The Miracle Mindset, and has been one of my favorite guests on YAP. Here's a clip from episode number 95, where Tim breaks down the miracle mindset and how mindset and productivity are deeply connected. So tell us about what is a miracle mindset? What kind of a perspective do we need to have in order to be you know, as productive as possible and, and move towards our goals?
2: So the mindset is is so, so important because, you know, it's it's not just to rhyme, but truly the mindset will create a mood set. So if you tell a little kid that he's going to do something exciting the next day, you've now put something in his mind and it's created a mindset. His mind is set on something. And so the mindset creates the mood set. Oh my gosh, now I'm happy. I get to do this thing tomorrow. So what I've become a master at is creating my own mindset because when we were kids in Compton, California, we had seven people in a two-bedroom apartment, which is very, very crowded. (laughs) And then we had seven people in a Volkswagen bug, which is called illegal. You're not supposed (laughs) to have that (laughs) man. So I created my own mindset through the through the realm of imagination. So I started seeing things on TV, predominantly Disney things that we would see. They would come on Sunday nights and my older sisters would watch and my mind just started taking off. So my mindset became beyond. I was thinking beyond, dreaming beyond. So my mindset changed my mood set that even though I was in cramped and crowded places, my sisters used to say, this guy, he walks like he's a king, (laughs) but we were poor. But it was my mindset.
0: Yeah. And so for those people who are struggling to have this strong mindset, if they they find them having themselves negative thoughts all the time and and they just can't get out of it, like, what's your advice there?
2: So I'm going to be good at this question because I've just spent three years writing a book, as you know, called The Miracle Mentality that comes out March 1st with HarperCollins. So literally three years I've been writing with an amazing editor, like, holy schmoly, this guy's so good. Teachers at Princeton. But here's what happens. In my travels, I found out that people usually live in these categories, what I call the messy, disheveled, the mundane, which is like the regular, the status quo, or they many times lived in the madness. So they lived in the messy where their life was just disheveled, okay? Or some lived in the mundane where it's just mundane day after day after day after day with no break. And then some lived in the madness. And I found that if you are constantly in the messy and the madness, it's hard to make room for the magic, you got to make room for magic. And so I teach people in my seminars, don't sprinkle magic on your messy. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm going with my girls. We're going to Vegas. But you're, like, all living a messy life. But you're going to sprinkle, like, a magical weekend. I mean, that's great because you need to rest and live. But we got to deal with your mess to make some permanent room for magic. And that's where I'm good.
0: We have to make room for the magic. I was so speechless when Tim dropped this line in our interview, because if we're leading crazy, hectic, messy lives, we're not leaving room to see our opportunities clearly. These are all actionable steps that we can take to achieve more and more each day. Creating meaningful, clear, short to-do lists, changing our mindsets, and really engaging our focus are surefire ways to naturally increase productivity. working from home in the sun. We got a super cute bungalow in Venice Beach with a fenced backyard. The change in scenery, the fresh air, and the slower pace to help me to inspire some really cool new ideas for my business. And honestly, I'm feeling really refreshed and ready to rock in 2024. And who helped me make these remote work dreams come true? It was Airbnb. And Airbnb has come in clutch for me time and time again whether it's finding the perfect Airbnb home for our three-day annual executive team get-together or booking a vacation where my extended family can fit all in one place, Airbnb always makes it a great experience. And you know me, I'm always thinking of my latest business venture and I've been begging my boyfriend to start hosting our place on Airbnb. And finally, we're gonna start. So many of my successful friends host on Airbnb and it's such an amazing way to generate passive income. So to start, we have a plan to start spending more time in Miami and we'll be hosting our place to earn some extra money when we're back on the East Coast. 2024 goals and I'll keep you updated. A lot of people don't realize that they might have an Airbnb right under their own noses. I was pretty surprised myself. You can Airbnb your place or spare room even if you're out of town for just a few days or weeks. You could do what I did and work remotely somewhere else and Airbnb your place to fund your trip. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host to find out how much your home is worth. Young and profiters, it's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. With inspiration at our fingertips and powerful tools at our disposal, the possibilities are endless. And when it comes to tools that can truly make your business grow, there's one name that always stands out, Shopify. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the real store with the door stage. And even the, did we just hit a million orders stage? And if you're in that, I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify magic is your AI super powered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts from blog posts to product descriptions. Not to mention Shopify also is the home of the best converting checkouts in the game, 36% better than other leading commerce platforms. Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. And remember, whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com profiting, and that's all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com profiting to start growing your business today. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com profiting. There's an actionable concept that's really simple that I'd be remiss to not bring up in this episode. And that's the law of Goya or simply the law of getting off your ass. Entrepreneur and best-selling author David Meltzer is a big fan of this concept. I had David on Yap twice because he's just that awesome. Back in episode number 31, I had David break down the law of Goya and how we can harness Goya to be our most productive selves and maybe even start to attract the things we most desire.
3: Number one: The law of Goya. The law of Goya is get off your ass. Mm. Do not sit at home high on your mom's couch dreaming about what you want, high and broke and sick. Get off your ass and work for what you want. Sacrifice for what you want. Create action because part of attraction is action. Mm -hmm. And the second phase is the law of attraction. After you put forth all the productivity, all the value that you want, then you need to be accessible. You need to attract and access everything that you want. Be accessible to others and access what you want with the laws of attraction. Put your full faith into what you want, what you think, what you say, what you do, what you believe, and even the unconscious competencies of your personality traits and energy. Put all that aggregate of faith to what you want and you'll get more of what you want. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the most hyper aggressive, part of the law of attraction or the law of getting what you want. Not only do you have to have action and attraction, but you have to surrender. You have to allow things to happen. Now that doesn't mean sit back and allow it to happen. It is a hyper aggressive state. It takes Goya and attraction. You need to fight your ego. Number one, by being aware of it. What is my ego? When am I out of center? When am I out of the flow with anger, frustration, anxiety, separation, inferiority, superiority, fear, any of these emotions that put you on the trajectory that is not in the direct pursuit of your truth or potential. Mm-hmm. And if you can learn to number one, be aware of your ego and then stop, breathe, and then put yourself back onto the trajectory of truth-based consciousness, not ego-based consciousness, you will be productive and accessible. You will have efficiencies, effectiveness, and statistical success. Most importantly, you will accelerate and exponentially grow in all your pursuits. And so that you may feel that you're 10% of the way there in a year, which means in half a year more, you'll be 20% of the way there. In a quarter of a year more, you'll be 40%. In an eighth of the year more, you'll be 80. In a 16th of the year, 160%. In a 32nd of a year, you'll be at 6400%. And it goes on and on and on. That's how life accelerates and grows. And when people think they're not close, they're a lot closer than they think they are. And when they think they're close, they're even closer than they think they are. That's how acceleration and exponential growth works. That's what the ego does not allow you to do. It creates the corrosion and the illusion that you'll never get there. Mm-hmm. It creates the corrosion illusion that everybody else knows what's best for you, that you are what everybody else thinks of you, that you are not worthy, that you must please everybody else. All of these different emotions are included in that ego-based and I highly encourage anyone to study ego and how it's relative to your time and productivity and accessibility and then you can experience the flow and really, truly, not only be happy, but inspire others to inspire others to be happy.
0: Take action and you'll start to see attraction. We can't let what we want and need to do pass us by. By taking small steps consistently, that's progress. When we do this, we're actually chipping away at those long-term to-do lists much more than we know. But we have to make that happen for ourselves. We need to be actionable and intentional with our focus We need to actually do something so that things can start to fall into place. It's not how much time we spend on doing something, but rather the quality of time that we're spending on the task. And this idea reminds me of my conversation with John Lee Dumas, top podcaster back in episode number 96. Our conversation was all about working smarter, not harder. In this clip, he tells us about his batching
4: technique and how it's changed the game for his work. I honestly don't work that hard. Now, there is an asterisk there because I work unbelievably hard three or four days per month. Like I'm putting in long days. And this happens to be one of them, by the way. You are one of 20 interviews I'm doing today. This is a very hardworking, long day. I'm doing more interviews today than most people are going to do this year, period. But that's how I operate. I'm either all in or I'm out. And so back to the batching thing, I'm batching interviews on other shows today, just like last week was my interviews for entrepreneurs on fire. I did eight back to back interviews in one day for entrepreneurs on fire. I love it. It fits my personality because holla, I wake up in the morning and I say, today is entrepreneurs on fire day. It is my super bowl. I'm from new England. So I love the Patriots. I love Tom Brady Tom Brady wakes up on Sundays and he's like, today is my Super Bowl. I'm going out and I'm playing a football game. I'm giving it everything I got. And that's my attitude on my interview batch days. I wake up and every interview, I'm giving it everything I've got because guess what? It's my one Super Bowl. And then I'm going to have two, three, sometimes four weeks before I do another one of those days. So it's not like I'm doing those days back to back because I my head would explode, I'd pop off. Because it is a lot of work. It is a lot of mental bandwidth and energy and it's tough. And it's, you know, I'm zonked by the end of the day, but I've left it all on the table. And then that opens me up to relax the following day or the following week, to focus on other things, to just kind of like keep my energy in check and balance like that. So to me, bashing is everything because it gets I get in the zone. I crush the eight interviews and then I'm, then I turn off. If I had to do one every single day, there'd be days where I'm just like, Oh, I just don't feel like turning on all my equipment and like getting everything all set up. And I just don't feel like doing one interview today. Like I'll have days like that for sure. And I'm glad I don't do interviews those days, but when it's my super bowl one day, I've got to commit to. And again, at most two days per month for my entrepreneurs on fire interviews, man, I am 100% on all the time for those days.
0: People see success with batching because it eliminates the presence of multitasking. Multitasking or dealing with more than one task at the same time is an absolute productivity killer. Don't take it from me. You can take it from science and a few different studies on multitasking. Multitasking. First of all, multitasking can lead to as much as 40% drop in productivity. People who are interrupted and have to switch their attention back and forth take 50% longer to complete a task. And lastly, multitaskers make up to 50% more errors when completing a task. Many of us multitask and also many of us develop a habit of context switching, which is moving between different tasks at once, juggling various duties simultaneously, and failing to focus fully on any one of them to completion. If this feels like you, then you should really consider task batching. There's something really efficient about being in a specific zone and then knocking out similar items at once. It can help you access flow states, which enable peak performance, which we'll talk about later in this episode. Plus, when you get ready to work on a similar bunch of tasks, you can get really organized and you'll feel less stressed and frazzled. You can grab all the tools, documents, and resources you need to get started, and then just focus on everything you need to do right at hand. And with more organization and thoughts not scattered, you're likely to be more precise and reduce any errors. Batching is one of my favorite productivity hacks personally, and I have a bunch of tips related to batching that I've learned over the years. For example, you should batch low value work for low energy parts of your day. You can set time limits, especially for your unruly tasks like email, which could take up your whole day. When it comes to doing low value work for low energy parts of your day, I love to do email at like 3 p.m. Eastern when I'm usually in a slump. I just do all my email at once and I use that low energy part of my day to do low value work. Another method that John brought up in our conversation was the Pomodoro method. This is an age old technique that encourages people to work with the time they have rather than against it. It works by breaking your workday into chunks of concentrated time, like 40 minutes. For example, you set a timer for that exact amount of time. And then once that timer goes off, you take a 20 minute break. Then after your short break, you're back to 40 minutes of focused work, and then you take a 20-minute break, and so on. You may have heard of this method before, and so let's hear how John implements the Pomodoro method when it comes to time management to achieve more during his days.
4: A lot of people wake up, and it's all about OPP other people's problems. They jump on email and it's about people wanting this from them, wanting that from them, needing this. They jump on social media and it's other people's problems, other people's outrage, other people's anger. And they do all of those things first. Like this is the first thing they get into. And then by the time they finally shift back to like what they should actually be working on and what they should be doing, like the content that they should be creating, they're zonked because their brain's been like getting pinged by all these like help me, help me, help me, hate me, hate me, hate me, love me, love me, love me. And it just never works. And they're just like, oh, I don't have any energy for my own stuff right now. So I'll do it tomorrow. And then is a repeat of today. And you never get anything unique or special done. You don't build anything meaningful. So I actually wrote my first traditionally published book in 2020. And I knew that if it was going to be a great book, that I was going to dedicate the first two hours of every day to nothing else, except writing that book. So I woke up in the morning, my phone's in airplane mode. It stayed in airplane mode. I came into my office here. I brewed a cup of coffee. I made some tea. I did my thing. I hydrated, but then boom, I turned my computer on and nothing came on except my word document. And I wrote for two hours and not, not two hours straight, by the way, because I'm a big believer in, in sprints. So for me, I've just found out over time, that 42 minutes is really a great time for me to work. So I like to work for 42 minutes. I set a timer and it's called the Pomodoro method, by the way. And for those 42 minutes, I had zero distractions. 42 minutes works for me because I know that I can get a lot done in those 42 minutes, but it doesn't seem like it's this long time frame, this daunting. So if I knock it out 42 minutes, the timer's going, and then the timer goes off, I stop. I take 18 minutes, the remainder of that hour, the next 18 minutes, and I relax. You know, I might do some stretching, do some meditation, do some breathing exercises. And then my next 42 minute sprint starts. And then I'm done for the day writing for that book. I wouldn't let myself do any more writing, just those two 42 minute blocks. It took a total of two hours every day. That's it. And over six months, I wrote 71,000 words. 273 pages. My book was finished ahead of schedule because I committed to that. And it's great because I gave my best, most uncluttered, most energized time of my day to the book writing process. And I'm convinced that's why I beat my timeline, that it's a great book, and I got everything accomplished that I wanted to because I dedicated that portion of my day, the best part of my day, to that process.
0: Let's hold that thought and take a quick break with our sponsors. I want to talk to all you employers out there and let's talk about company culture. At Yap Media, we have a super unique company culture. We are all obsessed with excellence and we even call ourselves this really cute name, Scrappy Hustlers. We're all scrappy hustlers at Yap Media. And my team is growing fast and hiring is a pain in the butt, especially if you're looking for A players that are going to roll up their sleeves. But luckily, when it comes to hiring, I no longer feel overwhelmed by the search for the perfect candidate because I use Indeed, the ultimate hiring platform. Indeed's matching engine always presents me with a pool of high-quality candidates that match my job description to a T. If you're tired of drowning in your hiring pool, Indeed is here to rescue you. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging your candidates, making the entire hiring process a breeze. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I've hired some of my best employees at Indeed, some of my best scrappy hustlers. With over 140 million qualifications and preferences analyzed every day, Indeed is constantly learning from your hiring preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets at actually hiring your perfect match. Join the ranks of more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that have already chosen Indeed to hire great talent. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash profiting. Just go to Indeed.com slash profiting right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash profiting. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, I've got a fun fact for you. Did you know that by 2030, over 85% of the jobs that will exist haven't even been invented yet? And that's why we need to acquire new skills and stay relevant and adaptable. By embracing lifelong learning, we can future-proof our careers and our businesses. That's why you've got to check out Economist Education. Economist Education provides online executive education courses tailor-made for professionals just like us, crafted by The Economist's own editors and special experts. Economist education courses are designed to sharpen your professional skills in key areas like data storytelling, critical thinking, sustainability, and so much more. I highly recommend checking out the Economist education course, Business Writing and Storytelling. It's packed with valuable practical advice on how to inform and persuade through writing reports, social media, presentations, and beyond. The best part, these courses are online, flexible, and self-paced, lasting anywhere from two to six weeks. You're guided by expert tutors, You'll dive into a mix of videos, podcasts, texts, quizzes, and weekly assignments. Plus, you'll get a three-month digital subscription to The Economist to support your learning journey. Economist Education provides access to online forums where you can network with peers around the globe. In a world where knowledge is power, Economist Education empowers you to lead the way. Economist Education is an incredible way to stay ahead in business. And I've got a special offer to get you started. Get 15% off any course only available by going to my special URL, education.economist.com profiting and then enter the promo code profiting at registration. This offer ends on March 31st. So don't wait for 15% off. Go now to education.economist.com profiting and use code profiting. Again, this ends on March 31st. If you want 15% off, you've got to go to education.economist.com profiting and use promo code profiting at registration. The Pomodoro method is an easy way to bring more structure into your working hours and to get more done. Quite honestly, if you're working a nine to five right now and you're having trouble focusing, I would start with the Pomodoro method because I think that's more attainable to implement instead of batching your time at first. But whichever method you find works best for you, stick with it. When you create more structure into your work, you are rewiring your brain to be more efficient. And there's proof that we can hack our brains to reach peak performance levels with enough focus. Back in episode number 32, I had Steven Kotler on and he is the peak performance and flow master. He's written books upon books about how to train our brains to reach our ultimate flow states, aka our peak performance with more ease.
5: Cognitive literacy is really important. It's important to understand what's going on in your brain and your body when you're performing at your best. That way you can do more of it. It's repeatable Mm -hmm. and so what these triggers do they do one of three things they either drive two different neurochemicals norepinephrine and dopamine into your brain or they lower cognitive load let me back up one step flow follows focus it only shows up when all of our attention is in the right here the right now Mm -hmm. so that's what all these triggers do they drive attention into the present moment and as i mentioned a second ago they do this in one of three ways they either produce norepinephrine or dopamine which among their many functions in the brain are big focusing drugs. They drive attention to the right here, right now, and thus propel us into flow or they lower cognitive load. Cognitive load is all the crap you're trying to think about at any one time. And since your brain has a fixed energy budget, if I take away some of the stuff you're trying to pay attention to, if I lower cognitive load, you got more energy to pay attention to stuff in the present. So I'm liberating energy that you can re-spend on focus. So that's what these triggers do. Mm -hmm. Simplest trigger, you know, always the place I start. Can I swear on your podcast? Yes. Okay, (laughs) we work with organizations. The very first thing I do is I said, look, if you can't hang a sign on your door that says, fuck off, I'm flowing, you can't do this work, you're sunk forget about it. And the reason is what the research shows is to maximize flow. You need 90 to 120 minute periods of uninterrupted concentration. And Tim Ferriss has argued that if you're working on anything really, really creative, and I think he's right on this, that at least a couple of times a week, you should have like three, four, five hour, really time luxurious stretches to focus on your work. And for me, what this really means is I get up at four o'clock in the morning and I start writing. So from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. every day, I write. My phone is off. Mm -hmm. My email is off. My internet is off. In fact, all that stuff gets turned off at the end of the day, the night before. So when I leave my office at the end of the day, I Skype gets turned off, the internet gets turned off, email gets shut down, my phone my landline gets unplugged my cell phone gets turned off mm. all the lights get turned off and i leave my computer in focus view so all i see are the words wow. on a page that's all i see it's dark outside there's nothing but words on a page there's no contact and that's what i do for four hours now sometimes i'll turn i actually will and this is it's, it's worth pointing this out so people don't get me wrong on this one sometimes what i'm writing requires research right? Our director of research, Connor Murphy, is a coder, and he works the same way when he's coding. Mm -hmm. He will flit all over the internet looking for bits of code and ideas and take this, that. I'll do the same thing with research, right? It's not to say that I totally keep my focus only on the writing. I will go elsewhere and do research and come back to the writing. That stuff happens, but I will stay focused on the task at hand, Mm -hmm. usually, you know, for four hours straight every morning. And really, that's what I've done for 30 years, it's really a foundational two-peak performance, and it's really hard, right? These days, especially for people who have fear of missing out, all that stuff, that shutting down that much every day is really weird to most people. It's really hard. It's hard for companies to do, right? A lot of companies we work with, they have house policies that say, you don't respond to this message in 15 minutes and this email in a half an hour, like you're fired kind of stuff. That's absolutely insane. Yeah. I mean, literally, it's a corporate policy that goes against our biological hardwiring. And we know, and there's you know, copious research, the late, great Clifford Nass, who was at Stanford, kind of proved this more than anybody else. The brain doesn't multitask. It just is not built for it, it's not wired that way. You can sort of slowly, over time, start to train that a tiny little bit, a little more than we thought, but it really doesn't do it. So uninterrupted concentration is how we're built and you need to maximize that for flow. So that's absolutely the place you got to start.
0: Like Steve said, flow follows focus. And the biggest threat to our focus is distractions. So when you have high value work, make sure you set aside time where you will less likely be distracted. For Steve, that's 4 a.m. in the morning when the rest of his family is sleeping. It's also important to take measures into your own hands so that you're not distracted. That means proactively putting your phone away or turning it off or silencing your notifications. Even though productivity is what enables this beautiful life we as humans live in 2022, it can sometimes get a bad rap as a lot of us take it to the extreme, especially with terms like toxic productivity coming out, where we feel like we're constantly needing to be productive in order to elevate our own self-worth. A lot of the times we try to overload ourselves with work in order to feel like we've got stuff done, when in reality, we're so stressed with the amount of work we're doing and we're putting out subpar work as a result. So we need to be able to find a happy middle ground. That's why I loved everything these experts told us. By focusing on our priorities, making smaller to-do lists, and changing our mindsets, we're creating a less stressful and more organized environment to get things done. And we learned about so many actionable techniques like time batching and the Pomodoro method, which are concrete ways to divide up your time and make every minute of your workday the most efficient it can be, ultimately allowing you to work less hours and get more done. Thanks for listening to this week's Yap Snacks on how to be more productive. I hope you learned some actionable advice and that you'll use these words of wisdom to get more stuff done. What'd you think about this episode? Let me know your main takeaway by leaving us a five-star review on Apple, CastBox, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You guys can find me on Instagram at Yap with Hala or LinkedIn. Just search for my name. It's Hala Taha. Big thanks to the Yap team. As always, this is Hala signing off.